Are well, you ready for this conversation, man? It's a <laughs> uh, I don't know about this one. <laughs> I guess as long as no one, no one here to attack us, I guess that's good to go. Right? Yeah, this is one of the... This is one of the more controversial of the Reformed doctrines. Uh, <laughs> people hear total depravity and it's like, oh yeah, I could see that. We're all fallen creatures. Yeah, I could, maybe I could see that. Uh, uh, you know, unconditional election. Well, sure, yeah, God doesn't depend on us. I could see that. Limited atonement. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, is, this is the point on which many people classify us as heretics. On that note... <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this episode of the Black Top Pulpit by the Church at Sunsites. Uh, I am Andrew. I am the pastor at the Church at Sunsites, and I'm here again with uh, one of our church members, Ken Duffy. And today we are talking about limited atonement, or if you prefer to call it particular redemption. I don't have an issue with that. Uh, so, yeah, any other terms you're aware of for this one? That's Definite atonement. Definite atonement. It's definite. It happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, cool. So, what is uh, what is limited atonement or particular redemption or definite atonement? I mean, what what is that? How do we define this doctrine? Yeah, I do. I do like the the clarifying addition uh, uh, of other terms on, on this doctrine, particularly because. I would still uh, affirm the idea of limited atonement, but it does fall short of really uh, clarifying what it means. So definite atonement or particular redemption is just the doctrine which states that Jesus accomplished salvation for his people mm. at his death. And he, he, he had planned to do that. He did do that. And that is... Those are the people who are, are saved by his, his blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when you hear terms like limited atonement, I guess the reaction against that terminology, and really it's a reaction against the terminology is what I hear more than, more than anything else, unless somebody's just straight up Arminian, which is heresy for sure. Mm -hmm. um, it's, but God is not limited. Nothing God does is limited, and so it's just a reaction against the terminology, which I understand, and I and I actually kind of appreciate that because God is not limited. Yeah. I was talking with Katie about this, and I was like, "Do you like the term limited atonement or particular redemption more?" And she answered by saying, "Well, tulip sure does sound funny if it's pronounced with a P instead of an L." <laughs> She's like, "You you have to say you have to say tupip." <laughs> I, thought, I just thought that was the greatest answer. I was like, babe, I love, I love you so much right now. <laughs> it made me want to grab my guitar and sing that song. I think my wife's a Calvinist. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder how many different acronyms, like words, we could we could create if we if we just changed it. I I, I like. The, 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 there's nothing wrong with. The, uh, the original acronym. It's just clarification. That's all. Anyone yeah. who's going to be talking about these things are going to be like clarifying what they mean. No one's going to be like, oh, L and Tulip, limited atonement. Yeah, move on. Next. Next. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the yeah, thing, too. I mean, I mean, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a valid um, argument, like you were saying. I could see the idea being presented that God is not able to do something, but that would be like, um, what well, well, we would herald like God does do it and he does it perfectly mm -hmm. so so the idea of not losing any you know what, what did what did God purpose in, in the in the work life and death of Jesus mm -hmm. God the Son you know in, in this earthly ministry of this it was to redeem his church that's it man um, yeah. Yeah. um so God is not limited. Uh, that the doctrine doesn't <laughs> define God as limited in any way. Um, instead, it I think it defines us as the limited party, right? Uh, so we are the limited ones, and atonement then is limited. And this is how R.C. Sproul puts it: 
Uh, atonement is limited not in its effect, but in its extent, which we are the limited ones. And that just flows right from, flows logically. When you accept total depravity, you also accept unconditional election. And logically, what follows is limited atonement. Uh, the the scope, the extent is limited, which just means not all people are being saved. Um, not all people are being redeemed. Not all people are atoned for, not in its effect. God is perfectly capable to do everything that he wills and he accomplishes it. So uh, atonement is not limited. Redemption is not limited in its effect, but in its extent. And that's a really important clarification to make. So I'm glad you brought that up. If you didn't, I was going to. So. Yeah, no, I think that might may or might not have touched on it, but but in with that same idea, um, the 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 two main areas that people argue over this doctrine, um, the, both sides limit the atonement. Yeah, um, it's just like the other doctrine we talked about, conditional mm. or unconditional election. Yeah. So so the 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 other group of this these two main views of of the atonement limits the atonement. You just have to, on the other side, do something to get it. Um, and if you don't, it's limited for you as well. You, if yeah. you don't do this, you know, the Christ life and death is useless for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the that's the one other thing. Um, when I look at this doctrine, the idea, the idea, and this is the idea, the idea that Jesus. Um, potentially died for nothing is one of the areas that really uh, rubs me wrong when I hear this proposal where you must do something to receive the atonement of Jesus right. and his death. Um, yeah. that, that means that potentially nobody um, could be saved. If it depends on us and our response, Jesus uh, very well would have died on the cross for potentially no reason, um, hoping that someone put their faith in him. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that rubs me wrong too. <laughs> so, yeah. For sure. Uh, so let me ask this question then. Um, so you say, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit if that's all right. So you say the atonement is limited. Are you saying that Jesus didn't die for everyone? Oh man, <laughs> that's—I mean—that's the response, right? Are are you saying Jesus didn't yeah. die for everybody? All right, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. That's uh, that's one of the areas we go back to Jesus uh, dying for the sins of all the world, right? We we start getting into this language of of all people. Um, what what is the uh, God calls all nations. I'm thinking of yeah. in Second Peter, yeah, He calls all people, all people um, everywhere to he, repent. He desires yeah. all. In Second Peter three eight, um, he he desires all to be saved. Mm -hmm. um, these 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 passages that come up when when it's the idea of of what God's will and desire is uh, for saving people. Mm -hmm. um, so did he die? Did he die for? All people, in a sense, and, and this is the, the the hard part, right? We have to we have to define the idea of the world. Wait, or wait. All people, or, are you saying we uh, have to practice good biblical hermeneutics in order to understand the Bible? <laughs> like we, you, are you saying we have to go in and look at context? Are you saying we have to look at how different authors use the words that they're using? That's not what you're saying, surely. Surely we can just compile a bunch of verses and think what we want about them and define our doctrine. Surely you're not insisting that we actually need to understand the Bible and not just read it, right? <laughs> on, on occasion, hermeneutics are, are a little beneficial. You know, to be consistent and, and a proper bit of... <laughs> way that we, we read and interpret the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like a little bit of consistency. I also like a little bit of sarcasm and satire. So, you gotta have a little sarcasm. <laughs> Things would be a little rigid without it, yeah. especially when you're talking about the Ellen Tulip. Yeah. So, without going into all of 
the Bible without preaching through every verse of scripture to talk about this, because really you can you can preach on every verse of scripture and explain it and talk and talk about this through every verse of scripture, um, because all of the mm-hmm. Bible is about this. This is this is the gospel uh, tulip. It's it's an acronym that gives us the gospel, and that's that's the those these are the basics of the faith. There is so much more than than only the doctrines of grace, but the doctrines of grace. It's it's just an explanation of the gospel, the way that the gospel applies to us. And so without going in and doing all the all the like really particular specific hermeneutics, which I don't think we have time for on a podcast, right? especially if we're trying to stay under an hour, which we didn't accomplish last time, but we'll try this time. Um, without doing that, I, I can just I can just explain two different kinds of grace, right? There is God's common grace by which we say, yes. Jesus died for the whole world. It's through Jesus's death and crucifixion that the whole world is being renewed, that he is bringing peace and justice to the world and and to all humanity, and that anybody at all gets to take breath, like physical breath, and and to live and and pursue happiness and to do any of that, to to eat and and to drink. And to find our fill with the with the produce of the world, that's common grace. And Jesus died in that way for all, for the whole world. And then there is particular grace, right? And particular grace says that Jesus died for a particular people soteriologically, right? To to save them uh, as his eschatological people, the people that he has chosen for. For himself, so we would affirm as Calvinists, we would affirm, yes, Jesus died for the whole world, but we also affirm, and we have to affirm that's common grace we we also affirm particular grace that that Jesus died to atone for a particular people, and that word atonement is really important. the word redemption is really important as we are considering this and I think about Jacob and Esau did god did God love or hate Esau? Well, the answer is yes. Right. <laughs> uh, the scripture says that he hated Esau particularly because he chose Jacob particularly to be his people, to, to be the son of Eve, right? Uh, rather than the seed of the serpent and as the person through which the, the nation of Israel would, would, would come, right? Um, so he, so he, yeah, sure, he loved Esau. He created Esau. He created Esau in his image. But that's, that's general grace, common grace, and the particular grace then belonged to Jacob. We see this in John's Gospel. <laughs> John, our favorite Calvinist before Calvin, right? And in John's, in John's Gospel, oh, this is also in John chapter 3. Uh, yeah, we talked about that last time, didn't we? This is in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world, this the whole world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's common grace. This is grace that goes to all of creation, to the whole world. Jesus came to renew the world according to the way the Old Testament prophets prophesied. And in verse 18, we see the particular grace. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, right? It's past tense. Mm -hmm. And so it's like Jesus didn't come to judge. Why? Because that work of judgment, it's it's done from eternity. Uh, atonement is limited. Uh, those who do not believe, uh, they're not believing because Christ hasn't chose them, right? They have been judged already. Uh, it's, uh, it's, atonement is limited um, because that work of judgment was done already from, from eternity past. Um, and yes, we would still affirm that Jesus died for the whole world. Uh, his common grace goes out to the whole world and he is renewing the whole world. Uh, but he is saving a particular people for himself through atonement. Um, and those are the people who who come to believe in him. And those who do not believe in him, they have been judged. Uh, other translations say condemned there. They have been condemned already. Um, so I think we see that just perfectly represented in John, John 3, 16, 17, and 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could hear, I, I could hear, and, and this is 
this is just again for the sake of the people who would want to argue against this. Um, you, you continue on in John a little a little bit, uh, or not continue? Be going back to John one, <laughs> yeah. one twenty nine, and it says that the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Who takes away the sin of the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I I like to bring these things up because um, again, having having an understanding of who who Jesus came to save, um, and whether or not it, it is um, for all people, or or does God restrict some from coming to Him? How does this work? Like I I, I, I like to go through these passages, because I can hear other people bringing this up, and we don't want to avoid this, but but you brought up the same, this is the same idea for, as John 3.16, um, for God so loved the world, but then if you go back a little bit, real, you see John proclaiming, who takes away the sin of the world. Um, this is, this is again, where I would, I would say we, we need to, we need to understand what the world is being described here, um, because if, if, if we read this raw and out of context without defining words, um, this sure does sound like Jesus is removing the sin from, um, well, again, depending on what you define world as, all people during his life, all people of all times, all people from alternatives past and alternatives future. So like this is, this is where defining and, and understanding what, what this world is that, that John's talking about yeah. really, really puts a, uh, an important uh, clarity on this passage and passages like these. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say this is where it's important to say the world um, would be the people of God um, from eternity's past. Yeah. Um, that that they are that his his atoning work is a, is able to and will from from the beginning of creation until the mm-hmm. rolling up of the scroll the finishing of um, all that God has purposed in the life of Jesus yeah. are those people that he is has in scope in mind. Um, it's not just for Israel. It's not just for the present day Israel and Gentiles that Paul went out to. Um, to, to witness to it is it is from from the beginning until the end Jesus's atonement um, accomplished for for this scope of time for the people of God mm-hmm. and and actually does it and yeah. affects it yeah. Yeah. Um, you're talking and you're reading from John 1 and and I'm just thinking yeah. about I'm just thinking about what God has been doing through history and so we see God create mm-hmm. people in the Garden of Eden right? Um, and he gives them a command, don't eat from this tree, and oh, surprise, people sin against God, and <laughs> they fall from grace. And God promises atonement for the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. He says, no, you and your seed, you are cursed to eat the ground the rest of your lives, and you will have an enmity with the seed of the woman. And so right there from Genesis 1, we know, okay, only the seed of the woman have the promise of atonement. She is the mother of the living, mm-hmm. and that's why her name is Eve, right? Um, rather than, rather than, you know, being like the serpents of, of, uh, of the, the myths in the ancient Near East, Eve is different. She's a mother of, real mother of the living, and that's only because of atonement. Well, six generations go by, and then people begin to call on the name of the Lord, right? Or a few generations go by, and then people begin to call on the name of the Lord. The, the whole world is plunged into, into wickedness and wretchedness and, and sin, and then people are consumed about their own pleasures and their own desires and their own wills, and God floods the world. But he calls one family, holy to himself, into an ark, saves them through the flood. So he destroys the world through flood and establishes this family on the other side of the flood and shows them a rainbow which represents god's war bow that he hangs up at that point right shows them his bow in the clouds and says i'm not going to do that again instead noah Mm -hmm. just like your father predicted you will be the one through which humankind is 
saved, through which, not by which, right? Through which mankind is is saved. Noah has a few Ham, Shem, and Japheth. He has some sons, and he curses Ham. Who knows what's going on with Japheth? And Shem is blessed, right? Uh, through Shem comes the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who is called Israel, the nation of Israel. All of a sudden, God has gone from having one family on the earth to having an entire nation on the earth that he is atoning for, right? And then through Israel, the Messiah Jesus comes. Through the Messiah Jesus and the teaching of his apostles, the whole world receives the gospel. And through Jesus, the whole world is atoned for. And I'm using this language on purpose. What kind of pattern do we see? We see the kingdom of God being built up on the earth, not being extinguished on the earth so God can start over again. He did that in the flood. It's being built up. And as we live on and on and on, God is saving more people for himself, taking over the world, right? This this sounds like post-millennialism. Amen. Amen. (laughs) No, that's what God is doing. So Jesus is promised and what John told us about Jesus in John chapter 1. He really is taking away the sins of the world in that sense too, in this Mm -hmm. common grace sense, this general sense in which through his death, burial, and resurrection, he is renewing the earth, sanctifying the whole world, bringing the whole world out of sin more and more. And at the time of his second coming, he, he will finish that deliverance from sin. Like that promise is real. But we get so locked into the dispensationalism that became so popular that we don't want to accept that narrative, even though that's the narrative the Bible gives us. And so, yeah, Jesus is saving the world. Uh, Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, Anybody who tries to argue against us by saying, but what about when Jesus said he was saving the whole world? Yeah, absolutely. He's saving the whole world. Amen to that. Welcome. Welcome to the dark side, my friend. (laughs) It's a small step. It's a small step. (laughs) But that's that's what God is doing. That's that's the whole narrative of the Bible. Garden of Eden, from the garden to the city. That's it. That's the narrative. Like, and it's a cool narrative. Um, Yeah, I was I was I was just talking with someone actually, um, a a professing agnostic, um, which I. I respect people who are agnostic as opposed mm-hmm. to atheism. Yeah. Atheism is stupid. You know, it's just at least, ignorant position. To at, least, at least if you're um, agnostic, you're like looking for answers. So, Right. Yeah. Um, and you're not claiming all knowledge. <laughs> right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so he's a professed, uh, self-professing agnostic, you know, raised uh, in, in a couple of the cults I won't get into, um, but are very popular in our day. And he just, he brings up, you know, a very common argument, um, and, and this is within scope of this this awesome doctrine that we're talking about. He's, he's, he brings up these these people from you know I don't I don't remember if they're they're Hindus is is some type of other cultural ethnic group from across the globe. And he brings up these people and he says so these Hindus or whatever they were they have their own uh, religion of view or uh, practice of of how they live life. Um, they don't have the gospel and they're going to uh, they're going to die uh, apart from christ and perish and and my my response was like bro like look at the look at the news look at reports like god is going to these people already like he is mm-hmm. he has already accomplished salvation for countless of these people he's going into yeah. the depths and the darkest of these cults and these mm-hmm. you know, world religions these self-justifying um, um like religions that that try to uh, deceive the nations and and he is saving people out of it so the, yeah. that hindu that you're talking about there are you know there are already believing hindus yeah. there are already uh, believing you know people from from all walks yeah. of life and, well, and, and darkness so yeah it's real interesting um i i remember hearing the report about uh, a member of an island nation and the International Mission Board finally got a missionary to this island nation to share the gospel with them. And the man accepted the gospel that was presented to him. And he asked the question, or he wept, and the missionary asked him, why are you weeping? We brought the gospel to you. He's like, because you didn't bring the gospel sooner. As if mm-hmm. that's what God depended on. And unfortunately, right. unfortunately, this is the narrative that we have been handed, Right. 
Um, this mm-hmm. is again, this is the difference between evangelicalism and the Reformed Church is the Reformed Church recognizes, no, God is in the business of saving people and not depending on us to do that. Whereas That's majority right. evangelicalism today, uh, spouse, uh, and it's to get people mobilized for missions. I, I appreciate the heart there. Like, I want to get people mobilized for missions too, but not at the expense of the gospel and the sovereignty of God, right? right. So we're trying to mobilize people for missions, for, for evangelism, and... And we say, look, unless they hear, and we go to Romans 10 for this, right? Unless they hear, they're not going to believe. They have to hear. Beautiful are the feet of those who go. Like, take take the gospel, because if you don't take the gospel, they won't hear, and they can't believe if they don't hear the gospel coming from the mouth of a missionary. What people don't recognize about Romans 10 is after Paul writes that, he says, and you heard and you didn't believe, you Jewish people. (laughs) but God is doing his work anyway. Like that's the rest of chapter 10 in Romans. And it's like, guys, guys, come on. Um, And it's, yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's the narrative we receive. Like God is working despite us. If we can't send a missionary, look at North Korea. People are being saved in North Korea. Mm -hmm. And somehow reports are making it out of North Korea that people are being saved there. Like it's, this is cool. The gospel is real. God is really working. Like if God wasn't really working and saving people, you think anybody in North Korea would be coming to salvation? Absolutely not. Oh, you know, oh. mm-hmm. uh, but God is working even in North Korea. And so I think about this, and I, I, of course my mind goes to, well, is there anybody in the Bible that Scripture says will never be atoned for? And there is. So if you say mm-hmm. that, if you say that atonement is for everyone then you reject those stories in the Bible that say atonement does not apply to certain people. Uh, For instance, the serpent's seed, they would be cursed forever, right? Mm. Uh, The Bible identifies as in 1 Samuel, Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons. And the story says Eli's household, his sons included, in fact, his sons are the primary objects of this curse, will never be atoned for forever. Like, that's not just on this earth that's not just you know limiting them from participating in religious atoning sacrifice no the text says they will never be atoned for forever which includes the atoning sacrifice of jesus christ and then in the new testament Mm -hmm. judas iscariot is a a son of perdition jesus calls some pharisees sons of snakes the seed of the serpent like indicating you are not objects of the atonement jesus said that about pharisees like you are Sons of snakes, you are seeds of the serpent. And it's like, if Jesus is teaching that he is not atoning for some people, who are we to disagree with Jesus and still call ourselves followers of Jesus? We can't. We can't do that. Like, that's the teaching that comes from the Bible. Uh, Atonement is not applied to everyone. Yes, Jesus has died for the whole world, but he only died to atone for the elect. Amen and amen. Mm. You can hear a pen drop after that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it needed to be there. <laughs> I uh, ding. I, <laughs> I so I when I when I formulate arguments, I try to argue against myself until I find that I can't sure. argue against myself. <laughs> it's a good approach. Yeah, I, I always talk with Kathy about that. Like I, I would sit and have arguments in my head with myself. It's, it's a really good way to really work through scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and other people oftentimes would bring up points that I wasn't thinking about, but yeah. you, you can definitely do it in your own head. And it's a good thing to do. It's good practice. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it is. So say someone wants to become a Christian. Someone wants to follow Christ, but they have not been atoned for. Will they not receive eternal life? Oh jeez! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the, the, this goes back to um, the call of, of of Christ to the people, right? This is this is the people that belong to Jesus. Hear His voice as He says, um, "They will come to Him, and He will give them eternal life." So there's 
there's no like uh, uncertainty of, of the ability uh, because uh, the ability of, of Jesus to save people who desire it because the, mm. the people who desire it um, heard Jesus and want him. Yeah. Um, the, the people who don't desire it hear Jesus and hate him. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, they, they, they are of the darkness. The light has come into the world um, and they do not come to the light because their deeds are wicked. Yeah. You know, this is a, this is a matter where I, I tell people, like, uh, you, you want this, you, you hear this and it sounds desirable to you and you want to be saved. You mm-hmm. want to be atoned for like, this is where, um, the, I tell those people, you probably are of God's family already yeah. uh, because you're coming to him. He is working out salvation in your life. Um, and that's a really good sign, a really good test to know uh, that you belong to him, is that you want him as opposed yeah. to hate him. Yeah, I mean, uh, John, you sound like you just preach it through John's gospel. Again, as I, <laughs> John chapter six, verse thirty-five. Jesus, I know. Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst." That's the promise. There is no scenario in which somebody believes in Jesus and they're not atoned for. No, Jesus promised. Right. You believe in Jesus. You are saved. Uh, that's we cannot deny that promise, nor do we want to. All right, <laughs> verse thirty-six. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So mm-hmm. we see that the Father must give Jesus people. And those people do come to Jesus. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. That's the gospel. How it is applied to us anyway. For this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. There's the promise again. And that's Jesus is teaching limited atonement, particular redemption right here. And it's only those the Father gives Him, but all those the Father gives Him will believe. And those the Father does not give Him, even if they see Him, they won't believe in Him, right? For this is the will of my Father. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. And then verse 41. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And then we get to mm-hmm. we get to verse 66 here in the same chapter. And it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so... The Calvinist says, yes, limited atonement. The Reformed theologian says, yes, limited atonement, particular redemption. Mm. And people who claim to know Christ walk away from that sort of teaching. That's what happened to Jesus when Jesus started teaching this very doctrine in the Gospel of John. All those the Father gives me, they will come to me. If the Father does not give me you, you will not believe. And all those who do believe, who are given to me by my Father, they will believe, and I will deliver them on the last day. Guaranteed, it's a promise. And people stopped following Jesus because of this teaching. It's no surprise that Mm. people make this point a point of contention in Christian theology, too. Um, They will treat us like they treated Jesus if we teach what he taught. Yeah, and this is... This should be really. It should kind of put chills down your back if you, if you are among these professing uh, Christians that, that, and, and again, I, I want to be gracious in the way that I speak because the idea of um, everyone having the ability to choose to believe in Jesus and be saved, mm-hmm. um, that we have, we have believing brothers and sisters who. who believe this error in the scriptures 
that are Christians, but they walk this line that is so dangerous mm. because you just read a passage that should, should, should strike fear in the people who affirm this idea that anyone and everyone, whoever lives, can come to Jesus. And he says here, no, that's not true. It has to be granted to you. Um, that, that's, that's, a, that's a serious uh, doctrine that we're talking about. It has implications. Like, like when we say there's contention, like you said, yeah, absolutely there's contention. Um, but there's, there's serious consequences to this type of teaching. Mm. Um, we have to acknowledge that. And, and I, would, I would say if, if you kind of lean on that, that side of uh, theology that would promote the ability of all men to come to Jesus, I would just I would, I would ask you, read, read these scriptures that we're talking about even today, humbly on your knees and just say, Lord, it is your will, not mine. Lord, I, have, I, I, don't, I don't know how exactly you are accomplishing all things, but you have given me your word, and I want to know it, I want to believe it, I want to profess it to other people um, the way that you have presented it. And it's yeah. these types of passages that are, just speak very clearly to that. Then we could sing something like, yeah, red, red letters. <laughs> for, for people who are listening, I, I saw Andrew working up to that as I was talking. He was, just, he was about to bust out some, some notes. Started so. playing in my head, bro. It's like, it's it. like, yeah, no, all you have to do is read the red letters. Like, even if you discount the the rest of Scripture, like, pull yeah. out... Pull out your King James Version red letter edition and just read those red letters. Sure. And, and you have to come to the same conclusion if you really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, um, yeah. The King James Version says, hey. the, says the same thing that the NASB does on this and, and as the ESV and as the New King James Version. Like, you can't get around that no matter which translation you're using. You could even pull out a New World translation from the Jehovah's Witnesses and see, oh, well, crap! That actually teaches the same thing, but that's not—that's not what mm. the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. So, yeah, it's crazy. A couple don't verses. even have to get into like Pauline theology or anything like that. It's no, like, it just like these, this, here from yeah. the Savior's mouth. That's it. Jesus taught it, so we teach it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus cannot fail to accomplish his task. He will save all of his people. Let me read to you a couple more teachings from Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 and this is actually in the gospel when uh Matthew is is quoting um I think he's quoting the Old Testament prophecy isn't he she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus or oh no this is uh this is the angel talking to Joseph I'm sure she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will will save his people from their sins. Uh, not Jesus will make salvation available to all people. No, Jesus will save his people from their sins. Like his people, they're already defined, and Jesus is coming to save them. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus teaches, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has come in order to seek and save that which was lost. Not to offer salvation to all people, but to actually, effectually seek and save all those who are lost. We are not the seekers. We are not the ones who seek Jesus. We are not the ones who come to Jesus. Jesus condescended from heaven to earth, sought out his disciples, and said, I am also seeking the rest of my people among the nations. Jesus is the seeker. Jesus is the savior. And that's who he is. That's who he said he was. Amen. A lot, a lot of let it be's today, because this is this is the rich stuff in the gospel. Like that mm. just really get people to to just like cause them praise. Yeah. To, to Jesus for for what he does and the work that he he accomplished mm -hmm. uh, for his glory yeah. and not ours like this is this is just that rich stuff in the, in the scriptures that we we love and cherish and treasure this is beautiful this is beautiful yeah. Yeah. um so uh, people will argue against all of that and say oh no 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 Jesus atoned for everyone uh atonement is unlimited 
it's not limited. And in fact, uh, Jacobus Arminius, uh, <laughs> before mm-hmm. the doctrines of grace were even defined, he came out and, and said, this is a counter-reformation point, right? He said, huh? nope, unlimited atonement. And it was one of the doctrines that he defined under his theology, which which was against the theology of the the Protestant reformers against the Catholic Church. So it's like like a form of neo-Catholicism, basically, is, is what it was within the Protestant Church at the time. And he said, unlimited atonement. Um, what are mm-hmm. the consequences if we draw the doctrine of unlimited atonement out to its natural conclusion? What are the consequences for our belief system um, if we believe that atonement truly is unlimited? Universal salvation for all people. Yeah. Um, yeah, you either have to say Jesus failed because not all people follow him, so his atonement wasn't effective, right? Mm. Or you have to say if Jesus' atonement was effective, then it ultimately leads to the salvation of all people because Jesus does not fail. Right, so if atone, if Jesus atoned for all people, all people are atoned for, either through some kind of purgatory, which is why the Catholic Church had to develop the doctrine of purgatory, right? Either through mm-hmm. some sort of purgatory, or after spending so many years in hell to pay off your debt to God, which is the same as purgatory, mm-hmm. then you will be delivered into heaven, and eventually hell will be emptied, and the and heaven will be full with all people who who ever lived. Um, Origin started teaching that in the Catholic Church. Uh, we define that as universalist theology today and as Unitarian theology today. Today, Those are examples of where doctrine of unlimited atonement gets us. If Jesus died for all people, uh, in a particular sense, if he atoned for all people, then everybody's getting there's no there's no need for us to share the gospel uh, this sort of doctrine does exactly the opposite in missions that people tried to you know it's up to you you have to go persuade people sure but if but if a, atonement is unlimited everybody's going to be saved anyway now there really is no need for me to go share the gospel and to be evangelistic and, and missional in my living um and you're right uh, earlier you said that if we accept, you didn't use the term unlimited atonement, but if we do accept unlimited atonement, unlimited atonement is still limited atonement. It just, it limits atonement in its effect rather than its extent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is worse. <laughs> that's, man, that's, oh, that's a whole world of trouble. Um yeah, to be consistent in our beliefs, if we believe in both unlimited atonement and Christ's divinity and messiahship, then we must also believe all people will eventually be saved. That is not a biblical idea. No. Um, the Arminian doctrine of unlimited atonement can be seen in many worldviews that identify as Christian or not. Now, there are some Muslims that would hold to a doctrine similar to this. They wouldn't use that terminology. Same with Hindus, same with same with atheists. Like Unitarianism is is an atheist religion, right? Uh, almost atheist religion, whereby all people are just to be unified, and your truth is your truth. So we also get into relativism when we start believing this. It's not hard to imagine now why, especially in the United States, we've we've delved so far into this relativistic sort of individualistic thinking, because. We started by by digressing into unlimited atonement rather than limited atonement. And bad theology, guess what, leads to bad everything else. Bad sure. politics and bad government. So that's how this applies now. We're bringing this down to the blacktop now. Like That's how this applies. If we don't have a good theology, our politics suffer. Our governments suffer. Our families suffer. The way that we do education, it, it suffers. And we've seen all of those things in decline in the United States. Why? Because we don't know God anymore. We don't pursue him. We don't care about knowing him. If we know God, everything else falls into place. Um, and, and I'm confident enough to guarantee that. Like, because we've seen it in history. All you have to do is read history to know that. Not for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I, I am... I, I think... Um, we are we are long overdue for a 
a revival in this nation and uh, mm-hmm. not in a way that goes out preaching a revival, quote unquote, but the, the idea that um, we need to reform our theology and the, how far off we've gotten from sound doctrine uh, over the, the decades that have mm-hmm. led us up to the chaos uh, yeah. that we see today. Mm-hmm. Um, you can turn on your TV, you know, whatever you do today, flip on YouTube and, you know, get your news however you do. Go on Facebook, depending on what they let you see. Nice. Consequences of bad theology. Um, yeah. This is not a coincidence. You could you could go back over the last 10, 15, 20 years. You could see the appeal of of sound Christians to the church for many different areas of, of mm-hmm. bad doctrine that they're proclaiming. And and this was during a time where. Or, um, I mean, you can see the prosperity and freedom mm-hmm. of the people here. You, you, you were free to proclaim truth. There was, um, there was this reality of the, the law of God that really drove um, law and order and mm-hmm. purpose and values in our country, no matter what the individual um, person or family would right. affirm. And, and that has been, uh, that has been going off course so so dramatically over the last few decades that people have been trying to pull us back and now by no surprise look what is happening and the disunity division and chaos and confusion the church has failed to proclaim the truth where they need to and the darkness of the world and these ideologies coming up and lo and behold you know chaos today and that's where we don't we don't quit we don't we don't toss our papers up there and say you know what it's a mess we come we we urge people to come back to the scriptures uh teach and know god is who he has proclaimed himself what you want you want people to get back to healthy churches oh man wouldn't that be awesome (laughs) it would be man like no if we invest in and god as our top priority and his body and we make it a point to to be in church Right with the gathering, especially on Sunday morning, and we are being built up. Education, government, employment—all of that—it falls into place. All of that follows our participation with the body of Christ. It doesn't lead it, and Christ is not the one to be put on the back burner or or the shelf to the side while we pursue all of these other things. No, it's it's because of our participation in Christ that we are prepared to do those things well uh, and in a way that is actually gratifying and, and satisfying on a deep level rather than just earning us some place in society that's not going to not going to satisfy, you know. It's, it's yeah, it's right. it's all about getting back to the historic doctrines of the faith. What Jesus taught, that's all. Ad fontes, get back to the sources. Yeah, and and, and I don't want to go off in this rabbit trail a little I won't for more than a few more seconds, maybe this last response, but this problem with uh, most Christians today, being able to, when they go to their churches, um, are taught nothing more than like this evangelistic call mm-hmm. to people who already believe the gospel. Yeah. Um, this this is one of the big the big issues. Even when we're talking about the need for doctrine, like like this doctrine should come up in your church. I don't I don't care where you are, like. Um, if, even if you're among a, mm. um, a church that believes and the, uh, the the ability for all the to be saved, um, these doctrines should be wrestled through and talked about and preached about uh, from your your pastors, from in your small groups, and you should continually wrestle through these. Don't come to a a, a settlement in your mind that says, "No, this is what I believe in, and we're going to leave that alone." And I, I don't fully understand it, but I'm rested there. No, like like. Keep refreshing and stirring each other up, and and keep coming back and be reminded of of who God is and, and how He has worked, um, how He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. You know, keep keep your your feet uh, cemented in good yeah. theology and, yeah. and challenge yourself. Yeah. If you're talking about get in your own head and wrestle through these things, <laughs> if you right. don't want to do it with other people right away, um, don't don't just be content and and not understanding or not having a, a robust theology of these things because it's this is the beauty of the gospel that we're yeah. talking about and for goodness sakes subscribe to the blacktop pulpit 
and and Maybe. get and get your butt to the church at Sunsites because because that's what we're doing. <laughs> that's right. Oh that's man. Right. So I have a few. Uh, let me see how much time I have here. Okay. Yeah, I have enough time. Um. So this morning, I was about to leave to come to work to come to the church and uh, start getting stuff done, and my wife is sitting on the couch. Teaching my son how to read. My son is three years old. Mm. So we're like, people all the time are like, oh, your son, I'm going to call him E here. Uh, Your son E, he is so sharp. He is so smart. Like, how is he so smart? And my only reply is, we take the time to teach him. And we're not teaching him the ABCs Mm. over and over and over and over and over again. Right. It's like, okay, you got the ABCs. Let's start learning how to read those ABCs and put them together and put letters together. Like when we master one thing in life, we move on to something else to to master. Right. Our education always continues. We are lifelong learners in the church. What we've done is we've shared the gospel and people master the the just the basic gospel invitation. Right. It's not even the whole like gospel. It's just it's just this invitation, right? And people master that invitation, and the next week they go to church and hear about how terrible sin is, and they hear the invitation again. They go to church, hear about, oh, you need to follow God, and here's how terrible sin is, and you need to follow God again. But we've mm-hmm. mat- you know, some people have mastered that, and all of a sudden church gets boring, Christianity gets boring. Religion doesn't mean that much to me because I'm not benefiting at all from it. Y'all, that is real. Churches, listen up if you pastor another church. Actually do discipleship. Move on to master new things. It is important. God wouldn't have given us more doctrine to wrestle with if he didn't want us to wrestle with it. Um, He wouldn't have given us brain. The human brain is amazing. God wouldn't have given us brains like we have if he didn't want us to think about these things. He does want us to think. He wants us to know everything about him we possibly can. And since he is infinite, we we continue to learn and learn and learn and to master new doctrines, to master new things. And what we're talking about on this podcast so far, y'all, these are just the basics. And we're going to get it so much more than these things, hopefully, if we continue to do this podcast after we talk about this. But limited atonement... It's one of the gospel basics, and and, and people people haven't even mastered that. So, um, know God more. That's my plea. That is my plea. Be sure to head over to thechurchatsunsites.com. Check out the sermons and articles and our monthly announcements that we put there on the website. Be sure to donate to the Church at Sunsites so we can continue serving at the body of believers here in Sunsites and around the world and continue serving our community for the purpose of the gospel and making God famous, making him known. Um, Yeah, and hopefully I'll see you at the Church of Sunsites. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Black Top Pulpit by the Church at Sunsites.